darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. down to Zambia and say you do it all in love that I might know you in your suffering though you slay
Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Cypress Bible Church. So good to see each one of you here uh, this morning. Uh, welcome to those of you in person and who are here in person, and welcome to those of you joining us online, whether it's live right now here at 9.30 or at 11 o'clock when we rebroadcast this, or perhaps later today. We are so glad that you are with us and you have joined us for worship this morning. Well, two things to make you aware of as we begin this morning. First of all, uh, the elders will be available to pray for you uh, between services. That happens on the third Sunday of each month. And, of course, today is one of those Sundays. Uh, that happens in the prayer room, which is located just outside of those two double doors right there that you see to your right. Uh, that's between services. And all are welcome to come between 1030 and 11 o'clock today. Again, that happens on the third uh, Sunday of every month. So we encourage you to be part of that. And then secondly, uh, we are working to reopen some of our children's ministry programming beginning on Sunday, September. Friends, let's try that again. Aren't we glad this is live? <laughs> well, friends, as we were saying, we are looking to reopen some of our children's ministry programming on Sunday, September the 13th. And we have guidelines and procedures in place uh, to give all of our children and our volunteers a safe environment. Uh, but in order for those programs to reopen, we do need your help. And so uh, if you would like to, uh, if you're able to volunteer during the 11 o'clock hour, uh, or if you'd just like to learn more about that, we encourage you uh, to contact Nancy Moore at the church office. Well, as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning, uh, let us consider these verses from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him, and the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Friends, I invite you to stand with me this morning. Let us raise our voices and worship the king. Darkest 
be to the Lord. Amen. We just sang the words, oh, worship the King, all glorious above. Friends, He is the creator of all things. He is above all things, and He alone is worthy of praise. And through Him alone, we can find salvation. It's through Him alone that we have the power to overcome death and hell. In Him, we are made more than conquerors. This passage reminds us of that. We're going to read from Romans 8. We'll read verses 31 through 39. I'll read through the passage, and as you see the words that are highlighted in yellow, I want to invite you to read those. But let's take a look at this passage together. Again, read the yellow passages. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, he will, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise be to God. To that we can sing hallelujah. Praise be to the Lord. Can we sing this together? I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. So let's sing it together. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm.
Come on, church, let's raise a hallelujah. Praise be to the Lord, amen.
Praise the name of Jesus. What is fear? It can be defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Or it can be the sense that someone or something is likely to be dangerous, painful, or threatening. What do you fear? Could it be finances, health, uncertainty, disease, unrest in the world, hatred? People that don't think, look, act like you? There is obviously a large list to pick from in the times we are living in. So many things that could easily strike fear in the hearts of people. But what does God tell us about fear? So many instances throughout scripture, we hear God tell us, do not be afraid or do not be anxious. Here are just a few. John 14, 17. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The list could go on and on. Our Heavenly Father assures us that we need not fear, for he is with us. So... When fear begins to creep in, and it will for all of us from time to time, we have his assurance that we can cast all of our fear, all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us. Have no fear. He is the light of the world, and all of those who believe in him will not remain in darkness. Peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break. Let your name still, call the sea to still, the rage in me to still, every wave. At your name, let's sing this. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. In Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Call these bones to live. Call these lungs to sing once again. I will pray. Darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. 
we stand as we sing that chorus? Shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome. Sing with me. Your name is alive, forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Sing it again. Your name is alive. The shadows can't deny your name. Praise the name of Jesus, Jesus. No other name but Jesus, Jesus. So what fears are you facing right now? Is it uh, a return to school? Is it that they might not return to school? Is it a surgery that's scheduled? Is it another week spent looking for a job? Or a meeting where there's going to be conflict? A bill that's coming due that you don't have the money to pay? A difficult conversation that you really need to have and really don't want to. Another day when the relationship is in trouble and you're not speaking to each other. Or maybe you're in a place where multiple things are going on all at once. Fearful things, troubling things. It's one after another and the difficulties are piling up and you don't know which way to turn and it feels overwhelming. I was thinking through times in my life where that was true, and, and, and frankly, every one of those times is so complex that it would take me too long to begin to explain to you all those things coming from many different directions which were overwhelming me. So uh, just one of those periods, I'll, I'll just tell you, in one of them, right in the middle, I'm sitting in the emergency room, the, in the uh, waiting room, as my wife is having emergency surgery, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. 
And all these things have been going on in our lives and in my life. And in the middle of it, I realized in the last 24 hours, she could have died. And now I'm waiting for that surgery to be complete. So how do you get from a place where you feel desperate to where you are exalting in God? How do you get to from, from aggravation to alleviation, from fear to faith? How do you get there? Well, we're in this series called Survival Songs, and each week we're looking at a specific psalm, the songbook of the Old Testament. And, and uh, while many psalms are upbeat, happy, filled with faith and thanksgiving and praise, we're not looking at those. Uh, these are the psalms that uh, express misery and uncertainty and desperation. And I think that variety in psalms is why so many of us find spiritual nourishment and help uh, in this songbook of the Old Testament. They're so valuable in our spiritual journey. Because they deal with real-world situations that were true back then and are still true in our lives today. A real emotion that we struggle with. And so today, we focus on Psalm 55, and I've titled this Facing, Surviving, Rather, Tomorrow's Fear. Surviving Tomorrow's Fears. Now, this song was written by David, as many of the Psalms were, king of Israel, and it happens during a frightful time in his life. So let me give you a little bit of background so you can appreciate uh, the situation David is in. David had a number of children from more than one uh, woman. He was not the best father. In fact, I would think he's a pretty terrible father overall, uh, but uh, a man after God's own heart nonetheless, despite his failures and failings. Now, uh, one of his sons, named Amnon, uh, had a thing for his half-sister Tamar. And uh, so he tried to seduce her. She said no, so he raped Tamar. So he rapes his half-sister. And word got out about this, and uh, even the king, David, uh, heard about it, and the Bible says he was furious. He was furious. Now, one of the other brothers, Absalom, heard about it. Uh, he protected his sister Tamar, he comforted her, he counseled her, he put her in a safe place, and he waited to see what would happen. He waited for two years to see what his father would do, and his father didn't do anything. David was furious about this rape, but didn't do anything about it. And so after two years, uh, Absalom uh, decided to take matters into his own hands, and he gathered some men and had them kill his brother Amnon. Just put him to death. Well, this caused some family disruption, to be sure. I'll skip some details. Years go by, and along the way, Absalom is becoming the favorite of the people of Israel. I mean, he's a good-looking guy. He's got great hair. Everybody was uh, just admiring him, so he's the people's favorite. And uh, he starts to think, you know, I'd make a pretty good king. I think I'd make a better king than my dad. And uh, that thought's going through his mind. And as that's happening, uh, Ahithophel, who is David's closest advisor, he's the intimate confidant of the king of Israel. And Ahithophel decides, hey, I think Absalom would make a great king too. So he secretly changes teams and gives some advice to Absalom that you should rebel against your father David. And so uh, all the while... 
Uh, Absalom's popularity is growing. People start screaming for him to be king. And then David's life is now in danger. There's a revolution in progress. David has been betrayed by his closest friend and trusted advisor, Ahithophel. His own son, Absalom, is ready to replace him and is headed to Jerusalem with armed uh, people to kill his dad. And so David gathers his family David gathers his loyal officials, and he runs for his life. Well, that's the situation of Psalm 55. And so you can see when the first few verses of this psalm open up, uh, David is distressed. Uh, He is begging God to listen to his cries for help, to bail him out of the situation. And he talks about how his, his mind is distracted and confused and desperate he can't focus on anything other than his immediate problems and fears the threats the anger the betrayals have robbed him of rest and peace and he's crying out to God for help maybe you can identify with that not that whole exact situation but how David feels Uh, he's so overwhelmed have you been to the place where where you have so many things in your life that you can't even focus on what you need to focus on that you are distracted. That's the wording that David uses. He's distracted. Your mind gets so fixated on problems and the what ifs. What if this happens that you can hardly think straight? Your situation is so scary. Your fears so overwhelming that everything else is a blur. Well, that's David's experience. Look how he describes it as we go to verse 4 and 5. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Now, you know that feeling when your stomach is in knots, when uh, something that's going to happen or might happen or you fear will happen makes you feel queasy and anxious. David's been betrayed by those closest to him. One moment, he's king. One moment, he's wealthy beyond imagining. He's living in a palace. David is the legendary hero of his people. I mean, he's been a legend since he was a boy when he killed Goliath, and he's done many valiant things since. He was the hero. Now, that was in the past. And now, he's fearing for his life, and they're coming to kill him. What are your fears? Whether they're real or imagined, whether they are fear for your loved ones or for yourself, it can be overwhelming, and David shudders with horror over these fears. Now, I I see three movements in this song of David's, and I want to lead you through them, Uh, because I think it shows us, it helps lead us, how we get from fear to faith. So I'll lead us through that, and then take us to some real application. So the movements, I I put them this way. Number one is, here's what I want to do. And then David moves to, here's what I want God to do. And then finally he gets, here's what I must do. So these are the three movements. Let's let's move through them. Uh, Notice, first of all, here's what I want to do. Verse 6. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Now, if you've been in church for a while, maybe the words will come to your mind right away of that 
old gospel song, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away when I die. See, it's about death, but it's a really upbeat song, real snappy. So that's fine, because as a Christian, you know, death is not the end. You go to be with Jesus. And so, yes, when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. That's not what David's talking about here. That's not at all what David's talking about. No, his, his psalm is more in line with what Lenny Kravitz wrote not too many years ago when he wrote the song, Fly Away. He says, I, I wish I could fly into the sky, so very high like a dragonfly. I want to get away. I want to fly away. See, what does David want? He wants to escape. He wants to run away. That's his first reaction. If I could sprout wings and, and soar off to a place far from this fear and this danger, that's what I'd want to do. And I understand that tendency to run, the desire to escape whatever is happening in your life. It, it, goes, it, it goes like this, or if I could just change jobs, it would be okay. If I could just get out of this marriage, this relationship, life would be better. If I could get away from those people or this family or this situation, if I get far enough away, life would be great. And when we're afraid and we want to run and hide, that's seldom the right response. Steve May says that if you're focused on running, you're not focused on doing the job God called you to do. And the desire to escape, he says, can have, be, be a tremendous distraction. It causes us to daydream about being single or spending more than we should or eating more than we should or abusing alcohol. And David, he wants to get away, but he doesn't have wings. And so then he goes to the second movement, that, that first one being, I want to run away. But now he goes, to, well, here's what I want God to do since I can't run away. Here's what I want God to do. Look at it. Verse 9, destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. It's not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it, but it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. So everywhere David looks, evil is king. Now, there's sin, there's treachery, there's wickedness in all directions and all of that injustice and evil and of course there's going to be violence in, in society that's where sin is and David David's seen that he knows that he's the king he's tried to deal with that but here's what threw it over the top here's what he couldn't bear anymore that happened by the betrayal of his trusted friend yeah there's violence in the streets but I, I could bear everything except this I've been betrayed by those closest to me and so anger wells up in David and outpours his desire for vengeance and what does he want God to do send him to hell send him to hell alive put him down there God destroy them wipe them out judge these wicked people they're beyond saving now remember he's got a son coming to kill him his closest advisor, confident, intimate friend has betrayed him. And that's the one David's the most upset about. He's being chased away from his palace and his position as king. And first what David wanted to do was fly away. And next he wants vengeance. Send him to hell. That's what he wants. And now, there's this sudden dramatic change. Here we come to the third movement. It's just very dramatic. 
This happens a number of times in the Psalms, and it's, it's shocking to me every time. I mean, David is saying all of this, I want to get out of here, and oh, God, kill them all. And then suddenly, between verse 15 and verse 16, there's this dramatic turn. And that's where he realizes, here's what I must do. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want God to do. Here's what I must do. Well, what is it? Verse 16. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Quite a dramatic turn. I know so at first he calls out to God, and, and when you see God written that way in your Bibles in the Old Testament, it is the Hebrew word Elohim. And that, that is the overarching God. That's the God who is supreme over all, who is the sovereign God of the universe. It's the all-encompassing word for God. Very general word. This God who is sovereign, he knows what to do. I call out to him. Uh, here's what I would like to do. Here's what I want. Him, but I'm going to call out to God because he knows what to do. He knows the right thing. And then the Lord will save me. When you see the capitalized Lord in the Old Testament, it is the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah. And this is the very personal name of God. This is the, the God who takes action for his own people. And, and so, so this is, David saying, uh, for, I'm going I'm to call and, and look to the sovereignty of God, and, and I'm going I'm to look for the salvation of the Lord in my life. He's going to save me. And when God saves in a situation, he saves from it, or in it, or through it. So, so God might save from it. But he, God always delivers, but he, he might snatch you out of that, or snatch it away from you before it ever touches you, or he might rescue you in the middle of the fire, uh, right in the middle of that situation, or he might simply empower you to walk all the way through it and endure it to the bitter end. So, so you might experience even to the fullness of death itself. But, but God will always save. He will always deliver. And for those who are the children of God, it's our right, it's our responsibility, it's our privilege to cry out to him to intervene in our difficult situation. Because it's only from God that salvation comes. When David says the Lord will save me, that word for save, Yahisha, refers to a deliverance that must come from somewhere outside of me. Outside of the one who's distressed and fearful. And the one who brings that deliverance is known as a savior. And the, the Hebrew word is Yeshua, Jesus. The ultimate act of God's salvation is in his son Jesus. By entering our world in human form, Christ identified with our weakness, our sin and failure. He faced all temptations without falling victim to them. He went to the cross bearing the sin of the world, my guilt and shame. He suffered and died and three days later conquered death, guaranteeing victory over sin and death for all who put their trust in him alone. And so whatever problems, worries, and fears are going on in your life, your greatest need is a savior, one who can rescue you from the penalty and the guilt of your sin and failure. And there's only one savior, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And there's no solution, there's no situation apart from him who brings salvation. And so David sings, here's what I must do. I must call out to God. 
I must call out to God. And not only that, see, there's more to it. There's a little bit more. And so I, I, I'm going to call out to God. Well, what else? Notice this, verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. See, the key to surviving tomorrow's fears is not to run away. It's not to fight to get your way. It's to cast it away. Now, I had a practice for years of saving every card and note and letter that I received. And not all of them were encouraging, shall we say? But I used to save them all. And then I got to a point where it's like, well, I didn't save any that were anonymous. I didn't, yeah, that's, that's out. Uh, and, and then I was like, well, there's some that are particularly nasty. And like, why am I hanging on to this? And so I got rid of those. But still, I had at least two boxes full of cards and letters and notes that had been sent to me through the years. And, you know, and then when email became far more prevalent those dropped off the emails and I never printed those out but so so basically I had uh, years ago of all this encouragement I was told somebody gave me the advice you know someday you can read through these and be encouraged when you really need to be that encouraged but I'm moving those from place to place and state to state at least two boxes full of these things well Hurricane Harvey came along these were wiped out our offices, and these were stored not quite on the floor. They were on top of other things that were actually more valuable to me uh, that got totally ruined. And these got like a couple of inches, I think, of water that, that soaked up into it. And so eventually I got to the point where I'm going through all these cards and, and letters and notes and, and from years ago, and like I don't remember any of them, and I'm trying to sort through. And what I found is that it, the, the more encouraging, the more precious the note, the more damaged it was. And the ones that were like pristine were the ones that weren't so encouraging. And so th there's one, I, I, I'd completely forgotten about it. There's this handwritten four-page uh, letter, back and front, four pages, from somebody who had not been very happy with a decision that I made and something that I failed to do uh, in their estimation, and they uh, chronicled it all out for me. And I didn't remember, you know, why I saved this? I read it through. I didn't even remember the situation any longer. It was so long ago. And by the time I got done reading that, I was, like, really depressed. And I was like, I need to find, a, like, a more encouraging one somewhere. And I just kept finding these things. It's like people telling me about in detail about enormous problems that they have and you know that can weigh you down as well and and finally it's like as i sorted through all this box i said what am i going to do with all this stuff and i decided well i'm not going to save the encouraging ones and i'm certainly not going to save the discouraging ones and i just put those two boxes in the dumpster it's done done and nobody sends me notes anymore anyway so no need to save them now, I just say that to get you thinking about the kinds of things that you might be holding on to or hoarding. Uh, when it comes to our anxieties, our problems, our distresses, if we hoard them, our lives become cluttered with worry and fear and trouble and all of that that rots and decays and interferes with our daily existence. Because here's the truth. A God 
dependent life. Constantly takes what weighs you down and throws it over to God. If you have a God-dependent life, then what you are in the practice of doing, what you should do, is constantly, consistently take what is weighing you down and throw it back to God. Throw it onto God. And unless you consciously and consistently do this, you're hoarding troubles that will trash your life and contaminate your joy. Now, if you notice this verse, verse 22, when it says cast your burden, that word for burden, burden is literally that which is laid upon you that which is weighing you down cast it away now as i've said many times before i really like to fish haven't done it in years now um but i I used to find uh floating down the susquehanna river uh, or the Potomac, or some other body of water, usually with a couple of buddies, and just fishing uh, for a part of a day, or as much as I could, and enjoying that, getting away from that, we're out of cell service, and just being able to appreciate that, and catch some fish was, was greatly relaxing, and so uh, hundreds of times uh, on a fishing trip, I would cast a lure out into the water, and reel it back in, enticing a hungry fish to come after it. So when I hear that word cast, that's what I, I think of. And, and when I would cast, like if catching a fish is great or just to try in a different spot, but th- there were more than a couple times when that lure would catch on a, a rock ledge or it would catch on um, a sunken log or if I was too close to farther down the Potomac near uh, the city, uh, a shopping cart or refrigerator or a tire. Uh, And so I would then fight as hard as I could to get back to get that lure. Because even if it was, I I didn't buy expensive lures, but I wanted that lure back. Uh, Whatever I I could do to get it back, I would get it back. So I always cast with the expectation of bringing it back with or without fish. And that's not the type of casting in view here. But all too often, that's exactly what we do. We cast that burden, that fear over to God, and then we start to reel it back in. Over the course of the day, it comes back to us. We bring back that anxiety. Maybe you lay awake at night because you are consumed with a troubled situation. And what's happening, you are either hoarding your burdens or you are casting them but reeling them back in. And this survival song says, cast it away. And that needs to be a continual practice to give this to God. Uh, and say, this is yours. This is too much for me. It's more than I can handle. And notice what happens, David says, when you do this. He says, you will be sustained. Sustained. You know, that's the exact same word in Hebrew that is used when Elijah the prophet was going through a time when the land was in famine. There was no, not enough water. There was not enough food. And the Lord God says to his prophet Elijah, do not worry, I will sustain you. I will provide you with the food and the water that you need to survive. See, see, that's the promise of God. When you cast your fear over to him, he will provide what you need to survive. That's the promise. Now, the problem probably doesn't disappear. The thing that you're afraid of probably doesn't just vanish. The enemy is probably not sent straight to hell. But to those who cast it away, God gives you what you need to see it through. 
Uh, Stephen Covey offered a technique on how to think about issues that trouble us, and I'm using that, but not in the way that Covey intended, uh, so don't tell him. Uh, So he says, out of all the troubles that are in the world, draw one big circle that is your circle of concern. Meaning that there's all kinds of things that are troubling in the world, but you're not concerned about all of them. Some of them don't bother you enough to be concerned about. Others are things you're not afraid of. Other things you just don't know about. But there is this circle, and inside it are things that trouble you, that concern you, that that are problematic in your life. And and so um, anything you actually fear is in that circle, whether it's something as great as war between nations or uh, novel coronavirus. Whether it's foreclosure of your home or a bad grade. Whether it's about your marriage or a bad date. Anything in there. Now, some of those things in your circle of concern are things that you have control over. Uh, And so inside that larger circle, there's a smaller circle of influence. Yeah, all these things are concerning me, but then there's there's these things that, that I have influence over. That this is something I can do something about. And so if you have fear over an exam, uh, well, until the time that you sit down to take that exam, you have some control over what happens there. Uh, Instead of worrying and fearing, you study. And after you take the test, it it, uh, becomes a concern over which you have no control. So you cast it away. Cast it away. Maybe you're afraid your wife is going to leave you, that she's unhappy and she's looking elsewhere. Uh, She's not, she is not totally in your circle of influence you can't change her you can only change you and let me guarantee you you need to change you i guarantee you you need to change you so you can be more loving more supportive more self-sacrificing more christ-like and the rest of it is out of your control and, and you cast it away don't cast her away throw your anxiety over to the lord over what might happen over to the lord maybe you're afraid of losing your job And you worry about what might happen if the company is sold. Will you be a one who is uh, let go? Well, the only thing in your circle of influence in that situation is how well you do your job. Everything else is out of your control. Cast it away. Maybe you're at a new school or a new neighborhood or a new church and no one seems friendly. Uh, there's no one to, 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 who pays any attention to. The only thing in your circle of influence is your attitude, your friendliness, your willingness to risk reaching out. Uh, you keep doing that and for everything else, cast it away. Uh, wh- what about COVID-19? Well, if I, if I put fear and anxiety about that, Uh, at a level of 1 to 100, 100 being the highest, I would honestly say that my fear and anxiety about that is about a 1 or a 2. But I'm going to wear a mask when I need to wear a mask. I'm going to socially distance. I'm not going to hug and kiss people that I, unless my, except my wife, uh, my daughter. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, the, and then I'm going to, anything other, that's, that's why it's a wonderful, and then I throw everything else over onto the Lord. You don't act irresponsibly. You don't turn it into a politicized statement but you do what's responsible and cast the rest away. See, fear traps you when you focus on things over which you have no influence and you don't cast them away. Or fear traps you when instead of taking action on those things over which you have influence, you simply worry about them. You simply fear about them. And what you must do is is call on God for wisdom and courage to do what you are responsible to do. And then every time you, you find yourself hoarding anxiety, every time you realize that you are dragging that concern back into the boat, every time that fear weighs you down, cast it away. 
So what's in your circle of concern? What would you write there? Is it children? Is it health? Is it finances? Is it business? Is it marriage? Stop hoarding that fear. Stop reeling it back in. And this survival song is repeated in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's the call. This is what you and I must do to survive tomorrow's fears. So I'm sitting in the hospital waiting room. And frankly, this thing with Amy is like just, it's a centerpiece, but it's, well, I'm only halfway through this time of overwhelming anxiety and fear in, in my life, and this is one important piece of it. I had a, uh, one of my associate pastors come in early in the morning hearing about this to come and sit with me and talk with me and encourage me and pray with me. Uh, and, I, and I was grateful, but I sent him home as fast as I could. What, what I was doing, I, like what God brought to my mind is Zephaniah 3.17. It's been a very powerful verse in my life, which is, he will quiet you with his love. And that's what God did. As I said, God, I, I, I'm, I'm a doctor, but I'm not the kind of doctor that is going to do my wife any good. They're in there now. Lord, I, I, I have no control out of all these things that are weighing me down. I throw it on you. And he quieted me with his love. I fail to do that so often. But that's what I must do to survive. And how do I cast it away? Prayer is one of God's greatest provisions to do that. And so I'm going to share with you some words right now that you could use in speaking to God about your fears and your anxieties that might be plaguing you. Maybe there's nothing, but, but uh, whatever it might be in your life, through prayer, offload your cares onto the Lord. So I'm going to give you that opportunity as we pray here. I'm, I'm going to pray it aloud. I'm going to encourage you to pray it silently. And then there's a portion where I'm going to be silent so you can pray specifically silently about whatever it is that is on your heart and mind. The prayer begins this way. Father, you are God, even in stress-filled times. I know that you care about every detail of my life. Right now, the stress I feel most intensely is. Will you name that to the Lord? Between you and him. And then, Lord, where there is action I need to take, show me the way. Give me the courage to follow through. I trust you with my problems and fears because you have proven your love in sending your son. I cast every care over to you right now. Calm me with your spirit. Fill me with peace as I put my hope in you. I ask this in the name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen. fills the night it cannot hide the light whom shall I fear you crush the enemy underneath my feet 
Before we conclude our service, I'd like to invite Evan Wepler to come on up here with me. And uh, we are celebrating, as of August 4th, uh, five years that Evan has been on uh, pastoral ministry here at Cypress Bible Church. 
<laughs> you got some fans. <laughs> uh, but that would not begin to say how much Evan has invested over the years. When I first came as a children's pastor myself, Evan was actually serving as a, uh, a junior high assistant in that room. And uh, from those days until the present, he has impressed me with his commitment to ministry, his commitment to others, his insightfulness, his willing to go the extra mile, and his creativity. Uh, even back in those days when Evan was a participant, he took, we were doing um, something we continue to do through this day, um, but we were doing a, a Bible book by book study is uh, what we were doing. And so what Evan did was he took all of our symbols, created a t-shirt so that kids could take that t-shirt and wear with that, all on his own initiative. And so that was even as a junior hire, and that's only continued to this, uh, to this day. And so we're celebrating your five years, and um, I uh, just thought of some characteristics and qualities that I think stand out to me. One is he is creative, uh, he is willing to think outside the box and willing to go the extra mile to create things uh, that take a lot of human effort to happen, and so we appreciate your creativity. He's relational, uh, so you can only imagine how challenging it was, especially for those first few weeks when we couldn't have connection at all, uh, and then even now when children are not here. But the importance of relationship and uh, how God is sustaining you through that, but I know it's been a loss for you over the last uh, few months. Uh, he goes the extra mile. Uh, you know, it would have been very understandable and recognizable. It was a difficult year. It had been easy to say, let's just cancel VBS. Oh, no, Evan says we're going to do VBS, even if it means lots of extra work and lots of time behind the camera. It takes a whole lot more work to do a virtual VBS than it does an in-person VBS. And so when Evan's first proposal to us was, he said, I'd like for us to do it for 10 weeks. Can we do it for 10 weeks? And our crew, our, our parents said, I think five's about all we can handle. So he went along with us. But even that, Evan is willing to go the extra mile. Uh, he's also, um, he's willing to ask hard questions. Uh, he's always extremely respectful, always keeps the boundaries, always wants to do what's right. But he's willing to ask the hard questions that some others might either be afraid of or just not think. And that actually, I think, helps us to be a better team. So I appreciate that as well. He's authentic. He shares openly and honestly about his strengths and his struggles and his challenges and his life. And so we appreciate that authenticity. And uh, the other uh, last thing I says, he's uninhibited. He's willing to get on a stage and act silly and goofy and wear all kinds of things and things and thinks nothing of it. Uh, even though I was a children's pastor, I rarely have ever did those things. So I have a tremendous respect for you as well in that. Um, on uh, what I what we have for you here is I have actually it's a plaque from Psalms um, um, Psalms 23, which John just talked about. It's a reminder that the Lord is your shepherd, just as God has called you to be a shepherd towards children. And then there's a few other extra things in there. Uh, those of you who know Evan, and maybe even those of you who don't but observe, Evan is, I don't know if we could say this, but he's a bookaholic. Is that a fair thing? Okay. Evan loves to be a student. He loves to learn. He loves to read. His office is packed with books. His home is packed with books. Probably his car is packed with books. I don't know. Anyway, so we have a, a gift from Cypress Bible Church as a way of saying thank you for being here. And then we have a way for you to purchase some more books to add to your collection as well. So anyway, Evan, so thank you for your service here at Cypress Bible Church. Let me go ahead and hand that to you. Thank you. Well, well deserved. And uh, one of the things I encourage, just as we're reckoning, you can go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to close here in prayer in just a minute. But as we uh, recognize Evan, uh, as we are preparing to open up, uh, granted that our community still allows for that in a couple weeks, uh, it's a big burden on Evan and Avalyn as they're trying to do everything they can to make sure that we're creating a safe environment. And part of that is getting volunteers in place. Many of our volunteers who've served in that ministry actually are at an age that some of them 
prefer not to return to church quite yet because of the risk factors involved. So if God's leading you in any way to walk through a season to assist them, we would appreciate that. But for sure, we want your prayers in that. But if that's something you say, you know what, I could do that through December as we try to initiate and launch that, we encourage you to consider that as well. Um, today, I want to close us in prayer and just pray that God would help us in those moments when we all feel those moments of fear. Lord, thank you this morning. I thank you for Evan. I thank you for his service. Lord, I pray you would continue to use him as a shepherd that would impact children, leaders, adults, families, and Lord, that you would use him as you desire to use him. And so, Lord, we entrust him to you. Lord, we also think of this morning uh, as we're reminded of how, uh, how fear is oftentimes sometimes so present in our lives. And Lord, you want to help us and to free us from those things. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the ability to trust you even when things are uncertain uncertain. And so this week, Lord, we pray that we would hold on to the hope that we have because of you and the hope that we have because of Christ. And Lord, so we pray as we go out that you would, uh, you would, um, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us and walks with us as we depart today and give us the ability to serve you and honor you this week. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.